0: Welcome to the FBH Podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhamford.org. As he said my name is Brian Asbury I am the worship pastor here at FBH normally I'm not the one doing this part of the service I'm doing the music um, and so this is this is a little outside of my box it's not not quite normal for me uh, I mean you you ask me to, to sing and lead worship for a thousand people easy no problem uh, you ask me to, to teach 30 40 minutes and talk uh, that's, a, that's a whole different story but um, but I am very excited and, and you guys have been I just want to say you guys have been so Kind uh, to me through this process, Pastor Peter. When we started this series, uh, he mentioned that all of the pastors were going to get to preach at least one of the sermons. So, uh, so many of you came to me telling how excited you were that I was going to be able to preach. Uh, and so, it's, it's, it's. I appreciate you guys being so gracious uh, at, through this. Um, but yeah, so if you've been coming uh, for the past couple weeks, or you've been watching online, whatever it may be, uh, you would know that we are in a series on worship called "With Everything." And what we've been doing is we've tried to look, uh, what, tried to discover what worship should look like in the life of a believer. How can we go about living a lifestyle of worship? So, of course, being the worship pastor, uh, I was excited for this series. I'm excited to be able to teach this morning. Uh, and I just want to give a little, a little back story. Some of you I know really well. Some of you not, not so well. Um, so just a little bit about me. So I grew up in Roanoke, Virginia. Uh, that's where my family, most of my family still lives. Uh, And all through growing up, so since I was four years old, my parents had all of us kids. I've got an older sister, two younger brothers. All of us were in piano lessons, guitar lessons, all this kind of thing. My parents, they don't play an instrument, they don't sing, but they wanted to get us involved in that. So, uh, like I said, since I was four years old, God had already started instilling uh, within me the the talents and abilities that he's blessed me with. Um, And I started leading worship at my church in high school. Uh, when, I was, um, when I was a senior in high school, and then felt the call into ministry, into worship ministry, so I went to Liberty University, for those of you who are familiar, uh, a, a huge Christian university also in Virginia, not far from where I grew up, and uh, so I got a degree. I got a bachelor's of science in music and worship studies, so just like a, a pastor can get a degree in theology uh, or pastoral leadership, things like that, uh, I was able to get a degree in music and worship studies. And, uh, and since then, I've been leading worship, whether volunteer basis or part-time or full-time basis. Uh, I've been leading worship for just over 10 years, about 11, 12 years now. So, um, so yeah, of course, a worship series, man, that's, that's, that's right in my wheelhouse. I, I'm very excited uh, to be able to talk about this this morning. So with that, we're going to be jumping right in. So we are going to be in Psalm 95 this morning, we'll be in Psalm chapter 95. If you have your Bibles or tablets or phones, whatever you use, if not, totally okay. We're gonna have the verses on the screen as we go through it. But, uh, but we're gonna be really dissecting these verses. We're gonna dive deep into what God is trying to tell us through these verses. And, and my hope today, just to, to lay it all out right up front, my, my hope is to provide a clear picture of what congregational worship should look like. What should our worship look like specifically on a Sunday morning. So a lot of this series, as Pastor Peter, as Pastor Jeff has preached, a lot of this series has been communicating uh, that worship is is much more than just an hour on Sunday, right? And that's, that's very true. But a very real and engaging part of worship is, in fact, what we do during this time on Sunday mornings. So, Although worship is much more than singing, it's much more than just this hour on Sunday, this hour is definitely a part of the big picture. So today we're going to be talking about it. We're going to talk about this area of worship, Sunday morning worship. And Psalm 95 is is really perfect for this because it is a congregational psalm. And what I mean by that is is the intent behind this chapter was not to describe uh, to the individual believer what their private personal worship should look like. David, King David, when he wrote this chapter, he wrote it specifically to show what worship should look like in a group setting, in a congregational setting. So for our understanding, I think, it's, I think it would be appropriate to say that, that King David, as he's writing this chapter, it's as if he's the worship leader and he, is, uh, and he is literally speaking to the congregation on how we are supposed to worship when we gather together. So if you've ever been confused, if you've ever uh, wondered why we sing on Sunday, simply wondered uh, about what, what it is and how we should participate and worship on a Sunday morning, this chapter will hopefully answer those questions as well as uh, give us instruction on how God desires for us to worship within this context, within a Sunday morning context. So with all that said, let's jump into it. We're going to be Psalm 95 and we'll start in verse 1 here. Verse 1 says, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. So right off the bat, David says, come and sing to the Lord. And within this very short sentence, as a congregation, we are given three things that we must do when we gather on a Sunday. We are to come. We are to attend. right? Whether that's watching online, whether you're physically here uh, this morning, we are to come and we are to sing. And then we're to sing unto the Lord. And when we gather to worship, all three of these things must take place. So all of you today, uh, at the very least, you've got this first step down, right? You're all here. Whether you're watching online or you're here, we've got, we've got the first step down. We can check that. But simply coming to church does not qualify you as a worshiper. Simply being present in this room does not mean that you are worshiping and praising God. And then David specifically says here that we are to come and to sing and to sing unto the Lord. And there's a reason why he specifies who we are to sing to. So again, David, he's, he's writing to this congregation. And, and I think it's, it's appropriate for us to, to put ourselves in their context and the culture that surrounded them. So people during this time, they would sing and worship various idols. Man-made idols of, of wood or metal or gold, right? It was rather common to sing and actually worship other things, and David here is saying, other nations, other peoples might sing unto their gods, but let's sing unto the Lord. And I know we, for us, we don't really struggle with that, right? We aren't, uh, we, don't, we aren't. Sorry, we <laughs> we don't really struggle with that. We aren't trying to figure out what what idols we should and shouldn't be worshiping. And in fact, if if I had an idol up here on stage and I told you guys to worship it, most of you would probably leave and I wouldn't have a job come Monday, right? So that's not something we really struggle with today, but there's a real danger that can be found within our singing where we're not singing unto the Lord, but rather singing unto something else. And just to be vulnerable, for, for me, I can easily slip into this place where I'm singing in hopes that, that you guys might hear how good I sound. As the worship leader, as the one singing into the microphone, I can, I can get into that place, and it, honestly, my voice isn't that great. Okay, God humbles me often, but, but I can get distracted. I can begin focusing on what you think about my singing and not focusing on singing unto the Lord. And Some of you might, might say the exact opposite. You might say, Brian, I don't, I don't struggle with that. Trust me, nobody wants to hear me sing. <clears throat> but at the very least, our, our minds can get distracted, right? We could be singing the words on the screen, but our minds are on work, on school, on family, on the appointments, on the Thanksgiving holiday we got coming up, and maybe we're hosting, so oh, there's actually a lot we got to get, get to this week, and, and our minds are on anything but Christ. And here David says to the congregation, come and let's sing unto the Lord, let's shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. So in our worship services, the most important aspect, all right, this is, this is the biggest point. This isn't the closer, but this is the biggest point. The most important aspect, the thing that we must cling to the most, must be that our worship is directed to Jesus and Jesus alone with a sincere heart and the most fervent intent. If this isn't true, if this isn't happening, our worship is meaningless. If our hearts aren't focused on Christ, if the, the lyrics of the songs are coming out of our mouths, but our mind is miles away, our worship isn't even worship at all. So to start off, David tells this congregation that without this, everything else that takes place is meaningless. We must be present, and we must sing, and we must sing unto the Lord and nothing else. And then David continues, he says, let's shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Other translations will say, make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. And when David says rock of our salvation, he's, he's intending for the congregation to be taken back to a time where, where they remember how God is our abiding, unchallengeable and mighty rock. And that in him we can find deliverance and safety. So the goal here is is to embolden us to praise him with our hearts and with a loud shout of praise, especially when collectively gathered for public worship. David also describes this worship as joyful, essentially saying, come, let's sing for joy and let's shout for joy. The point here is that our worship should consist of a joyful sacrifice of praise, not in a dead ceremony. So speaking to this congregation, he, he's telling them, don't, don't let this be a dead service. Don't let this be dry. And unfortunately, I, I think so many churches can miss this. And I think there's a reason, and we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more. But, but honestly, this is one of the big things that God used to call me into worship ministry. God instilled in me a passion to see his church worship him with joy and with celebration. So David says, let's come and let's focus our minds on Jesus and then let's be joyful while we do it. So I, while I was preparing through this, I felt kind of this is how my mind works. I felt this was a good way to kind of present this. Pastor Peter doesn't always do this. Sometimes Pastor Jeff does or Pastor Brian Guy will. But I kind of have this, this closing point for almost each verse to talk about what, what can we really walk away from this with. So if you're a note taker, you're probably probably going to love this. But So the takeaway here, in our worship services, we must be present and be joyful. In our worship services, we must be present and be joyful. And when I say present, I don't just mean physically, right? That's not enough. I mean really be here with our heart and our mind focused on Jesus. All right, so verse two, as we continue through, says, let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song." So here in this verse, we're we're given the opportunity to enter into the presence of the Lord. Let us come before him. Another way of saying it, let us enter into his presence with thanksgiving. Now, we all know that God is omnipresent, right? Which is just a fancy way of saying is God is everywhere at all times. However, David isn't referring to the omnipresence of God here. See, there's a, a very specific and relatively uncommon presence Of grace and glory when God has made his presence known to his people. It's it's not physical, but it might as well be. And, And when this takes place, when the presence of God is so tangible and real, our attitude, our response to that presence should be the deepest reverence and thanksgiving. Why? Because of the reality that God is here. The God of the universe, the sustainer of everything in heaven and earth, the holy, matchless, and all-powerful God has made his presence known to us in a tangible way. If you've ever experienced this, this presence before, it's, it's memorable, it's impactful, and it's almost unexplainable other than man, God was here. So in these verses, the the congregation is welcomed into this eccentric presence of God, which requires of us the utmost sincere and reverence. After talking about this presence and coming before the Lord, David says to extol him with music and song. Now, I I don't know about you, but I I don't regularly use the word extol. It means to praise enthusiastically. To praise enthusiastically with music and song. So I'm going to use a word, I think it helps describe it really well. Uh, don't, don't know if I've used it yet today, but the word would be joy. All right? We are to enthusiastically and joyfully praise the Lord with music and song while dwelling in his glorious presence. But I do want to kind of camp out here for a second. I want to spend a little bit of time here because I think there's a real complexity to what David is saying. So think about this. If coming into the presence of God requires reverence, right? We talked about that. When we are in the presence of God that requires reverence, how can we then also be joyful? It kind of sounds oxymoronic, right? How can, how can you be serious while also being excited? How can you be humble while also being energetic? How is it that we are supposed to be reverent yet enthusiastic? Usually, in pursuing one, we neglect the other, right? I said so many churches uh, can can have can get in this spot where they have these dead or dry worship services, but oftentimes, and to give them the benefit of the doubt, that's because they want to revere and respect the presence of God. They understand the seriousness of the reality that. God is among us, God is with us, and he is holy and perfect, and we are a broken people filled with sin. So when God has chosen to be present with us, man, we respect that with the utmost seriousness and almost a sternness. So how do we combine these two things? How do we combine these two things that, that seem to oppose each other? Well, thankfully, David doesn't just leave us hanging to figure it out. Let's read the verse again, verse This verse here, it says, Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him. How? With music and song. See, this combination of both joy and reverence can be beautifully found in music and singing. Music and singing, it it unites joy with significance. It combines exaltation with humility. Fervency with a seriousness. So if you've ever wondered why it is that we sing every Sunday, it's not just to fill the clock so we can keep you over an hour. It's because through singing, we can beautifully join reverence with joy. And this is even more so magnified within a congregational context. So takeaway here, in our worship services, we must be reverent and we must be joyful. We must be reverent and be joyful. And if you are taking notes, or if you have a good memory, you'd probably remember, uh, Brian, you already used joyful. You used that on the last point. You're kind of of doubling up here. And all I can say is is I'm not preaching what I think. I'm not trying to communicate uh, what I think, but I'm trying to communicate what God's word says. David here, he's communicating to this congregation, and I think what God is trying to say to us is that our worship services, we must be present, and we must be joyful, and we must also be reverent while also being joyful. So we'll continue on. Verses 3, 4, and 5, it says this. For the Lord is is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. So these verses give us a few reasons for worshiping the God of heaven, specifically drawn from his very being and his works. So again, remember, David is is speaking to this congregation and the surrounding culture would have imagined the Lord as just another God to be worshipped, just another God to to put on their shelf. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, it speaks to this as well. But, But here, David wants to completely eliminate this approach, eliminate all other gods from the equation. He says the one true God is a great God. He is all in all. He is the king of kings, literally other kings owe their existence to him. And as for other idols, they aren't even worth mentioning. David doesn't list all of the gods and the idols that are inferior to the one true God. He simply says he is the king above all gods, period. And then verses four and five, in his hand are the depths of the earth. The mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. The one true God, the only one worthy of worship, is the creator and sustainer of heaven and earth. He is the God of the hills and the valleys, the deepest caves and the mountain peaks. All things are under his rule and management. And what's cool here is is when David mentions the sea belonging to the Lord, I can imagine that this congregation would have likely been taken back to the Red Sea. Right, were generations before them. They were enslaved in Egypt. They were under the control of Pharaoh. Then God finally made a way for their escape from slavery. And as they're fleeing, they hit the Red Sea. They were fearful as the Egyptian army approached to take them back into slavery until God parted the Red Sea, allowing a path forward. In that moment, even though they were just slaves in Egypt, under Pharaoh's control, they would have realized that Egypt does not own the seas. Pharaoh does not own the seas. The seas belong to the Lord. So in our worship services, God must be central and be unmatched. If you ever enter a church and God is not the central focus, you're in the wrong place. The worship of the one true God is the primary reason why we gather each Sunday. No one and no thing should even get the chance to compete for the glory that belongs to the Lord. And then verse 6, as we continue on, says, Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. So here David is instructing our worship to include physical outward expressions. David says to bow down and kneel before the Lord in worship. So as Baptists, this is where we get a little scared, right? This is where we get a little reserved. Oh, man, Brian's going to tell us to kneel during the next worship song. And you're already thinking of of how you can get out of here and you can avoid that. It's it's okay. I'm not going to do that. But here's, here's the thing. And these aren't my words. This isn't my opinion. This isn't the opinion of your worship pastor. This is the word of God. David says our worship should be physically and outwardly expressed. Right? He he says to kneel down. And you can't kneel down without literally using your muscles and physically getting on your knees. And just to be clear, this this isn't a, a bowing of the heart. Right? He isn't being symbolic here. The word David uses means to literally prostrate one's self. It was used specifically back in this time when you would bow down before a king or a superior. It was a physical expression of submission and adoration to that person. And that's what David is saying we should be doing during our worship, during congregational Sunday morning worship. So what are some outward expressions of worship? David obviously mentions bowing down, but there are plenty of others throughout Scripture, especially through the book of Psalms. Some of them are singing and shouting. David mentioned those in the earlier verses, right? Singing, shouting, clapping, lifting your hands, bowing down, dancing. All of these are outward expressions of worship. And I could have thrown up all, all these verses for some context and everything, and I don't really have the time to do it. But if you go through the book of Psalms, you will see verses on clapping. You will see verses on lifting your hands in praise to God. All of these are biblical, appropriate methods of outwardly expressive worship. But, but this is important. I do want to point this out. Each one of those outward expressions of worship should be used as an outward expression Of an inward passion. These should be outward expressions of an inward passion. If you outwardly express your worship, but your heart and your mind are not focused on God, your expressions are meaningless. This goes back to the foundation that David laid at the beginning, right? We must have a heart fully focused on Christ. However, if all you ever do, is focus your heart and mind on God during worship, and your worship is never expressed physically, there's an issue. Now I know for the, the past 10 years of being a worship pastor, I've heard all of the excuses. I've heard all of the reasons countless times. And usually it's, Brian, outwardly expressing my worship. I mean, that's just, that's just not, really, that's not really my thing. That's not how I worship. I'm, I'm more to myself. And then it's, it's almost always followed up with, but it's okay, God sees my heart. He knows that I'm worshiping. However, this passage does not say to outwardly express your worship if it fits within your personality type. It does not say to kneel if you feel comfortable doing so, but if, if not, it's okay, God, God sees your heart. Unfortunately, David allows for zero excuses here. He says, no questions asked, kneel before the Lord, your maker. <laughs> Brian, that's, man, that's just not my thing. That's not my personality. Church, there is something in this world that gets you excited. There is something in this world that gets you excited. Now, the, the, the easy one, the, the softball, for no pun intended, is sports, right? For a lot of us, man, when our sports team is playing, we will put on that jersey. We're going to collect all the food so we don't have to get up from our seat. And when that touchdown happens, when the home run is hit, man, we are jumping. We are excited. We are shouting. When the refs make a bad call, we are yelling at the TV. We are outwardly expressing those emotions, right? But maybe, maybe sports don't do it for you. Maybe it's a, it's a job promotion. That, man, you've been, you've been working, but things aren't quite financially stable, so, so you applied for this job, and, and you just got the call. You finally got it. You start on Monday. You can't help but call your spouse. Let them know how excited you are, and hey, everything's going to be okay. I got the job. Or maybe for you, it's, it's, it's finishing a project. You've been, you've been working on that car for years. You've been fixing up your motorcycle, and man, it's finally done. You can't wait to show it off. Or maybe you've been, been renovating your house. You've been updating things in your home, and man, this year, you're, you're hosting Thanksgiving. You can't wait for people to come over and see all the work you put in, and, and, and you just can't wait to show it off. Or maybe for, maybe for you, it's, it's seeing your child take their first steps for the first time And you can't help but be overwhelmed with emotion, with joy. It can't help for it to come out. There is something in this world that gets you excited. That thing that that stirs something in you and, and forces an outward physical expression. And church, hear me on this. If the greatness of God if the power of the gospel, if the glory of the cross and the miracle of the empty tomb does not get you excited, the problem is not your personality. The problem is your perspective. You are not correctly seeing the magnificent greatness of God. If your worship is consistently void of outward expression, it's not a personality issue. It's a perspective issue. Guys, don't let the enemy get into your mind and convince you that God doesn't care whether you physically express your worship. He wants to limit the worship of God. He wants to hinder and steal any and all of the glory he can. Of course he's going to tell you that you don't, it's, don't need to express your worship. It's not really necessary. But David leaves no room for questions. God's word here in Psalm 95 is clear. God deserves your expressive worship. Whether it's singing or lifting your hands or dancing or clapping, bowing down, God is worthy of those physical expressions. And if you never do any of them, or if you, you take the cop out, the easy one, which is just singing, which that's good, but if you always if that's all you ever do, You are believing a lie from the devil, attempting to hinder your worship. Church, don't let him. And one of the the beautiful things with corporate worship is your outward expressions of worship not only glorify God, it can motivate others to do the same. And I'd love to to spend more time on this because it's really complex and really incredible. But how cool is it that when you worship and when you outwardly express your worship, that can lead and encourage more worship towards God. Don't let the devil convince you to ignore or limit your physical expressions of worship. The problem is not your personality. It's your perspective. Ask God to open your eyes to his greatness and his glory. God deserves more. So, in our worship services, we must be authentic and be expressive. We must be authentic and be expressive. And both are crucial. If your worship is expressive but not authentic, it's meaningless. If your worship is authentic but never expressive, it's limited. Is worshiping God in your heart actually worship? Absolutely. Is it all we're commanded to do according to Psalm 95? Definitely not. So whether intentionally or subconsciously, if you choose not to physically express your worship, you have deemed God unworthy of your outward worship. God God doesn't get me that excited. Sure, Brian, I'm gonna, of course I'm going to get excited when with, with sports, with my team, but, but coming to church and, and singing? Yeah, of course when my kid takes his first steps, when he says his first words, of course I'm going to be overwhelmed, but, but when I come to church, God doesn't get me that excited. Physically expressive worship is the natural response to the believer who fully experiences the greatness and goodness of God. But in case you still need more convincing, David continues by explaining why God deserves our expressive worship. The beginning of verse 7 it says this. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. So the first statement David makes here is quite possibly the primary reason for worshiping God because he is our God. He is personal. He's intimate. He sees us. He knows us. And we can call him Father. The creator of heaven and earth. The one who is matchless and holy has chosen to be in a personal relationship with us. David continues to say that we are his sheep. We are his flock. We are his. And he is our guidance, our help, and our relief, our provider. How can we refuse to give such passionate and expressive worship When we clearly see that he is our God and personally cares for us, even unto death, as Psalms 48.18 tells us. So in our worship services, we must be intimate and be reliant. We must be intimate and be reliant. And I realize that sounds kind of contradictory to say that in a public congregational setting, we should experience intimacy with God. But it is actually yet another beauty of congregational worship. Yes, God cares for us. Yes, he is here with us. Yes, he is our God. But more specifically, he cares for you. He loves you, and he's here with you. When we realize that God cares for us on this personal level, we learn to rely fully on him. How then can we resist or withhold our worship to our great God when he is the provider and sustainer of life itself? So David takes us through this journey, right? He he explains what worship should look like and in a congregational setting on a Sunday morning. And then he says, why? David says to come and sing and to sing for joy. So our worship services should include singing and shouting, especially with joy. Why? Because he is our God and our creator. And David says that our Sunday morning worship should include outward physical expressions of worship, whether or not it's your personality. Why? Why? Because he is our God, and we can have a personal, intimate relationship with him. And then David kind of changes directions here a little bit. To finish out verse 7, he says this. Today, if only you would hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray. They have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. So what is David getting at here? He just talked about what what worship should look like within a Sunday morning context. and, And then he hits us with this. Well, I want to provide a little bit of context that I think will help explain some of this. First, David references Meribah and Massah. And these can be found in Exodus chapter 17. This is where the Israelites are wandering through the wilderness and they complain about being thirsty. But they went beyond just complaining. Exodus 17 verse 7, it says this. And this is the the New Living Translation. I felt it explained things rather well here. So Exodus 17 verse 7, it says, Moses named the place Massah. Which means test. and Mariba, which means arguing, because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, "Is the Lord here with us or not?" So the Israelites did not just complain, they tested the Lord and questioned His faithfulness, His love, His provision, and most dreadfully, His presence. So in verse 10, God says he was utterly grieved and disgusted with that generation because of what they had done. Essentially, they were not only wanderers in the wilderness, they were also wanderers at heart. Because of their sin and unrepentance, God swore that they would never enter his rest. And that specifically refers to this generation's inability to enter the promised land of Canaan. So that's the context. That's that's what's happening. But the question still exists. Why Why is David bringing this up? Why does he tell us what our worship should look like and then change directions like this? It seems like David is using something we can see multiple times throughout Scripture. He's using the judgments brought on people in the past as a call for instructive purposes today. This is what happened then. So this is how we must respond now. If we want to avoid the judgment that they had, this is how we respond today. So God spoke to the Israelites, and they did not listen. So my question, what is God saying to you today, and are you going to listen? Maybe maybe your worship has been expressive. I mean, you love to sing, you love the time of worship, but... But a lot of the time, your, your mind is absent. Well, God is speaking. Maybe you've never outwardly expressed your worship out of fear or not knowing why it was important, but your worship has never been anything but internal and, and maybe singing sometimes. Well, God is speaking. Maybe you've never responded to God at all as the ruler and creator of heaven and earth, the God who loves you and sent his son for you, You've never entered into that personal relationship that we talked about, and you're hearing for the first time what your soul has been desperately craving. God is speaking. And David says today, if only you would hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts. My mom would say, you heard me, but you did not listen. What a dangerous place to be where we hear the voice of the Lord, but choose not to listen. I don't know what God is saying to you, but do not put it off. Do not grow deaf to the voice of the Lord. And don't intentionally deny any personal responsibility. Today, if only you would hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts. So David has, has laid out quite clearly what congregational worship should look like. And I've, I hope I've explained it deeply, but, but plainly for all of us to understand. If you were ever confused on what congregational worship meant or why we did it or how you should worship during our worship services, hopefully you now have the answer, at least some of them. So my challenge to you today, is your public worship what it needs to be? If someone was to describe your worship could they use Psalm 95 to do it? If someone was to describe the worship at First Baptist Hanford, could they use Psalm 95 to do it? And I know this this is a growing process. We aren't going to go from zero to 100 today, but here's my desire. My desire is for FBH to be the most passionate worshiping church in the world. Not because we want people to look at us not because we want cool Instagram and Facebook posts or we, we want a cool YouTube page, but because God is worthy of our everything. And nothing, nothing excites us more than worshiping God. And here's the cool thing. As the band, the band is gonna come out, as they come out, we, we have the opportunity to do that right here Right now, Peter often concludes his message, and, and there's often something that, that convicts us, and we confess, and we respond, and then we leave trying to apply it to our lives. Today, we get to act on it before we even walk out those doors. We're going to sing a couple more songs, and, and you have the chance to respond. What step do you need to take? Maybe, maybe for you, it's, it's knowing God and worshiping him for the first time. Maybe it's, it's choosing to focus all your attention on him and eliminating all the distractions. Or maybe, and I, I think this is where most of us are at, physically expressing your worship for the first time. Whatever it is, we, we have a chance to make that change Now, if you hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge you, acknowledge who you are, that you are holy, you are matchless, you are worthy of all the praise that we can give. And God, so often we can, we can get stuck in this thought of, I'll just, I'll just worship how, how I like. I, I mean, I'm not that expressive, but that's okay. Yes, God, our hearts and our minds need to be focused on you, but you deserve so much more. Our worship should not be limited. God, we want, we want nothing to be hindered. We want to open up our hearts to you, open up our worship to you. You are so worthy of all of it. And God, if we're, if we're stuck in this spot, God, I pray that you'd speak to us, you'd soften our hearts. Help us to take that step. Father, the most important thing is that our hearts are focused on you, but we wanna give you more. We want to outwardly express all you are, all the glory, all the honor, all of the praise belongs to you. With head still bowed and, and eyes still closed, maybe, maybe for you the, the decision is choosing to follow Christ for the first time. That you have never entered into that personal relationship with him. Today is the day that you can change that as well. And here we we like to go through the ABCs. The first is A, to admit that you're a sinner. Acknowledge who God is, that he is holy and perfect, and we could never reach that standard. But then B, we can believe that Jesus stood in our place, that Jesus paid that debt for us. And then C, we choose to worship him, to follow him for the rest of our lives. For the rest of us, we have a decision to make. We're about to sing. We're going to worship. And you have to decide in your heart right now. It doesn't matter what the person next to you is thinking. It doesn't matter how God is speaking. God is intimate with you right now. He's speaking to you. He wants your everything. He deserves our everything. Decide in your heart now that as we sing these next couple songs, you're going to worship with everything within you. Not because we want other people to look at us, not because we want to put on a show, but because nothing excites excites us more than the God that we worship. Father, you are our everything. You are our sustainer. You give us the breath in our lungs. God, this morning we want to give it back to you. Eliminate all distractions, eliminate all fears, eliminate all reservations. God, may we be unhindered in the worship that we offer to you this morning. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.